The last few years have taught us, or more revealed to us, the importance of self-reliance. That can mean many things to many people. Learning how to grow or hunt food, water treatment, power alternatives, personal safety, tanning, the list goes on. One of the things I wanted to do with this show is bring on experts in all of these areas to provide some insight and advice on how we can become more sovereign in our daily lives. So today I'm joined by Rick Spicer, who I consider to be one of these men. Rick operates Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and also runs the Instagram account Pack Rat Bushcraft. Rick and I met back in South Carolina this past winter at Winterstrong, and we spent an entire afternoon walking a 3D archery course with our traditional bows with mutual friend and former guest on the show, Corey Hawk. Rick and I had a great conversation in this episode covering traditional archery, becoming a better woodsman and hunter versus a better archer, bushcraft, tip, bushcraft tips for newbies, Rick's handmade quivers, his yearly bushcraft event, the Bruja Bushwhack, fitness, and a ton more. So be sure to check out and follow Rick on Instagram and get lots of great tips and content for outdoors and hunting and survival. So enjoy this episode of the show with Rick. Let's dive in. everybody welcome back to the nomad strength show today i'm joined by rick spicer pack rat bushcraft uh first of all thanks for joining and making time man i'm, I'm excited to catch up and dive into some stuff with you today yeah it's my pleasure i appreciate being asked yeah we met uh back at winter strong and uh, this was your first experience down at winter strong yeah, in south dude, carolina and, me, man. Uh, we actually you and me and Corey Hawk, and I think there was one Sorry, other guy. Sorry, Ross, I don't know if you can hear us, me, man. Correct. But... Um, we basically just walked the 3D archery course like the whole afternoon of that first day and spent like three or four hours just hanging out with the four of us and shooting targets and talking about life and everything else. And it was honestly like one of my favorite parts of the whole weekend was just like, it was kind of like a outdoor woodsman version of going and playing an 18 hole round of golf, except it was way more fun. <laughs> you know what right, I mean? Right, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I had a great time as well. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. When we uh, when we were talking, you had uh, you had one of the bows that Corey had made, uh, and and I've had Corey on um, before and talked about that process of him. And the, but what I was really impressed with was the the quivers that you make, and uh, they're really really cool and i'm actually i'll i'll be getting one at some point because i really am diving deep into the recurve and traditional archery world and i love the ones that you made so really i kind of want to just go let's take it back like to the quote unquote beginning and you know you have this outdoors company and this is a lot of what you do and who you are where did that come from is that something that's been since childhood how did this all begin for you yeah so i um I mean, I grew up hunting and fishing with my father. That's been something that's always been a staple in my life. And when I was in college, um, I had an opportunity to go to work for a uh, kind of mom and pop outdoor retail store that was um, already really well established kind of in the community. And so I was doing that while I was going to school. And then um, after I got out of college, all I, at the time, all I really wanted to do was be outside. I just wanted to climb and go fishing and backpack and stuff like that. And so they gave me an opportunity to, you know, kind of uh, climb through the ranks a little bit. And ultimately, long story short, um, a few years later, I had an opportunity to become a part owner of that business. Um, and so kind of through that, I've had a role in kind of, you know, the cool thing about working for an independent outdoor retail shop when it's not like a corporate thing is you can do what you want. You don't have mm -hmm. to ask anybody. You just try stuff and do it. And so you can take your own passions and you can make your business unique, you know, whatever you like. And, and also obviously like recognize interests around you in the community and things like that. And so, 
Um, in my shop, you know, we, we got our start selling canoes and kayaks and backpacking gear, and we still do all that stuff. Um, but now we have a traditional archery section in the shop. We have a big bushcraft section in the shop. And I've been able to nice. take a lot of the things that I'm passionate about and kind of, you know, implement those things into uh, my business and, and what I love. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. With the with those two things that kind of you bring to the table with with traditional archery and and the bushcraft thing, each of which I want to really get into, but I want to start with with archery. Was that the the traditional archery world is like it's it's a weird thing in as a as a subculture, I would say, when it comes to the hunting space, right? right? And like we kind of had a little bit of that experience being you know, the four of us that were walking around shooting our, re- our our traditional bows that day were pretty much like the only four, with the exception of Brandon, he had his. But like there yeah. was less, there was half a dozen of us that weekend out of, you know, 60, 60 70 people who had bows that were the, the yeah. trad guys, right? And I, I kind of liked that part of it, but uh, was, were you, when you started, was that where you started or did you come into that later on? And what kind of, kept you there yeah so um when i started i was a kid and my dad bought me like an old used browning compound bow and that was my first bow when i was probably 11 or 12 but i shot it ted nugent style no sights uh no release (laughs) fingers i had no idea what i was doing honestly and i shot that bow that way for years I tried to hunt with it. I never took an animal with the bow. And but probably all yeah. through high school and everything. I mean, I was hunting with firearms, you know, to you know, most of my success and stuff. Sure. Because my dad was a gun hunter, you know. He he the only bow hunting he ever did was with a crossbow, you know. And so I didn't I didn't have yeah. a mentor and there was no one around me to teach me anything. And of course this is all before the internet, you know. Um, yeah. And, and so there was no YouTube. There was no anything I wanted to learn was in a book, you know. And so I was reading yeah. a traditional bow hunter and stuff like that. And even though I was using a compound bow, I knew traditional is what I wanted to do. It just it just felt right to me. Hmm. And I, I got my first real traditional bow. Um, right. Oh, golly. I was probably about 22 years old somewhere around in there i guess um Mm -hmm. and uh it was a i still have it um it was a a a martin hunter um recurve um and i hunted with that bow for quite a long time and i made a deal with myself that i wasn't going to do any other type of hunting until i took a deer with that bow um and it took me a long time you (laughs) know I, i spent several seasons trying to do it yeah um, but finally I was able to take a, uh, it was late season and I thought it was a doe, but it turned out that it was a buck that had already shed his antlers. Um, and, uh, I didn't know it. Oh, I know it was kind of a wild story, but I, I uh, uh, anyway, yeah. I, I took that deer, uh, at pretty close range from a tree stand. And uh, after that, it was like, there was really no turning back. You know, I was obsessed with it after that. So what is the what is it about the traditional form of archery that you think is so appealing to you versus the compound method yeah it's a whole bunch of stuff i I think i like carrying a weapon system that's made out of the woods you're walking in for one um it kind of connects me to the experience in a way that carrying a aluminum bow with cams and stuff on it just doesn't and i'm in no way like against you know compound hunting and sure and that kind of stuff right Uh, i always want to preface that but it's just not the same experience you know and um i'm also kind of a bit of a nonconformist in a lot of ways and so i mean if you know you can have 80 80 90 percent of people are turning right because it's the most sensible and the most efficient way i mean i'm the kind of person i'm going to turn left just purely because everybody else is turning right <laughs> yeah. uh and a lot of times it doesn't even <laughs> make not even knowing what's going on it's just like ah, i'm just going this way <laughs> yeah i mean i i am uh you know there 
I've always kind of been that way. I'm a little bit stubborn uh, on yeah. certain things, and I've always been interested in things that the majority of people are not doing. Um, and if there's a hard way to do something, I'm going to pick that way every single time. Like I just am, you know, uh, so, uh, that, that, and that, that's kind of across the board, which, you know, uh, meant yeah. has, has meant I have struggled a lot with a lot of things, uh, in my life. Uh, I mean, you name it, but at the same time, um, when you are successful, uh, regardless of, you know, and, and I'll use a, you know, hunting with a trad bow as an example. I mean, I, I think for some people, you know, if you're hunting with a rifle, if you're hunting with a compound bow to shoot a doe is kind of not a big deal. Um, everything's a big deal when you harvest an animal. I mean, even a squirrel or a rabbit, you know, with a, a long bow or something yeah. like that, you know. Um, and I just, I appreciate that a lot. And it makes me appreciate every single time I go out a lot more. Uh, you know, I'm not just going out there purely to try to, you know, harvest a big deer, you know, or, or take a big elk. Like, yeah, I want to, if I can, absolutely. That's great. Um, but it turns every single experience into a more meaningful event, uh, when I'm using that type of tackle. And I think that's one of the big things I like about it. And you made a good point too, about having really like a, a deeper connection to it from the weapon itself just because a if it's made from the stuff like you said the woods that you're walking in that's one level of connection but also the i i think just because it's such a primitive version of the weapon it feels more like an extension of your own body rather than this like machine i have to learn how to you know master right like it, there's like the less mechanical it gets it feels like it's more a part of my own body when I go to shoot. Right. And, and then you also have this connection where when you're, when you're shooting with a recurve or a longbow or whatever it is in the traditional sense, the whole game is close encounters with animals because of the nature of the weapon. Like it's, it's one of the things that Brandon and I have talked about a couple of times when we see the differences in just our own attitudes when we're shooting our compounds versus our our traditional bows is like well if i if, if i'm gonna get inside 50 or 60 i'll be okay with my compound right, right. like that's kind of the like that's kind of the frame of mind it's like as long as i'm under 50 i'm good you know yeah. but it's like when you're shooting a, a recurve you're like well my game is i need to get to like 15 and then if yep. you get to 15 you're like but what if i got to 10 yeah. and then you get to 10 you're like but what if I got to seven, you know, yeah. like there's always this, how, how much closer can I get? So it's like a totally different approach when you're actually out in the woods. And like you mentioned the word connection, I think that's the perfect word for it because that's really like, you are super connected to the weapon. You're super connected to the environment. And then even literally the animals in some sense, cause they're almost are, can be with arms reach away if you're good enough. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, kind of one of my rules of thumb, you know, is if I can't hear that animal breathing, they're not close enough to shoot at. Um, and so, mm, you know, I want to, I want to be as close as I can possibly be. And certainly no matter what type of hunting you're doing or, or even, you know, uh, you know, marksmanship or whatever, like you need to be efficient with the weapon system and be as good as you can be. But with, traditional tackles more more of the experience is about the skill of the hunter to come inside the normal realm of that yeah. animal's defenses and less about you being able to launch an arrow at a long distance you know uh that type of thing and i i right. that really resonates with me um because it's hard, right? Uh, it's really difficult to do that. I mean, you know, yes. white-tailed deer are—they are like hyped up all the time. You know, their senses are, are really keyed up, and um, in order to you know get sub fifteen yards from one of them is—it's a difficult, especially to do it with any you know on the regular, right? Um, and so, uh, right. yeah, I, I, I really, I really appreciate that about it. So. So if we can get a little practical here, 
I know that uh, I know that so much of this obviously depends on like where you're hunting in the environment and understanding just that particular habitat, right? But what are some of the things that you did or do that you feel were aiding in your progress as a as a hunter and like as a woodsman rather than just as a shooter? Like what are some of the things that you did that made you better at that that allowed you to get closer and closer and closer? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think there's a whole lot of things, right? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm an avid reader. And so obviously trying to learn from people that have been around um, for a long time and, uh, you know, taking advice, you know, early on, you know, things like traditional Bowhunter magazine was a big influence on me. I mean, I was I still subscribe to that magazine. And uh, so I've picked up a lot of stuff over the years uh, from that. And so early on, that was a big part of it. But also, you know, I think there's something to be said for going out and just making mistakes and figuring things out on your own. And, and just because somebody like taking advice from people's good, but ultimately like you've got to go out and figure it out on your own. Right. Um, and don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to just do stuff that maybe you never even heard of before. Right. Um, and so, you know, quite frankly it's just you know spending time in the woods um and nowadays one of the big problems with that is you know what happens when you get bored in the woods well you pull your phone out of your pocket and you start <laughs> playing with it right um right. If, if you can right. make may, you know make a deal with yourself that like look i'm out here to do this you know to have this experience to do this hunt um and so pick out something i mean it may have nothing necessarily to even do with the game that you're hunting you know um it may be like one of the things that i love doing while i'm out there if i'm sitting in a blind or a tree stand or even walking around in the woods um i want to know the name of every single tree that i come across right and so i'm constantly mm, like looking yeah. at leaves looking at tree bark figuring out okay what's the name it, at a minimum what is this tree called and then uh second to that what resources can this provide to me um is it a food resource you know is it a medicine resource is it a, a fire resource you know and so that is occupying you know me and then of course my mind and it's keeping things interesting but then on top of that you'll come across things then you'll discover food sources or maybe things that game is keying in on that wasn't just white oak acorns you know uh you'll come across other things that right. um you know whether that's you know sparkleberries or whatever that you're like oh i didn't know that you know they were necessarily coming here and feeding on these um and so you know by picking something out like that um or maybe it's birds i mean who knows you know what it is but um, it, yeah. it adds layers to your experience. And through that, the more layers you can add, the better woodsman you're going to be. And it, it just kind of all ultimately has all these fingers that just kind of get tied together, right. And locked in. Um, and I think it makes you a better hunter, but it makes, again, even if you go hunting and you don't see a single game animal that you're after, it makes that experience uh, worthwhile. And so you don't walk out of the woods disappointed because you're like, oh, I didn't even see anything today. Um, it's like, no, every time you go out, you can learn something new. And I think that should be a goal of everyone um, to go out because every opportunity in the woods is an opportunity to learn and it's an opportunity to be better than the day before. So that's a really good uh, example of the other things that are included in becoming a woodsman when you're talking about like just knowing the trees that are in the area around you because i think that's probably especially people that are new uh new to hunting or new to outdoorsmanship it's it's one of, it's like you said it's just a really deep layer of it and i think a lot of people especially if they're in hunt mode right everything that their mind is consuming is about the animal that they're trying to hunt sure right and and rather you're looking at this like well okay, well, here's all these kind of trees over here. Why would these trees being right here make a difference? And then, because yeah. I, I now know what they are, what they provide, you know, what, what part of that environment they're in, if they're close or farther away from, I mean, there's all kinds of different angles to look at this, just being out there without, like you said, even 
before you even get to the part where you're talking about animals, right? right? And I think that part of it is something that is probably overlooked, at least from what I see on how guys portray hunting and outdoorsmanship on social media. I don't really see a lot, of, unless it's like a specific account or something that's like that's the focus, but just we're talking right. general woodsmanship, learning the the plant life is something that I think is massive in the areas that you're hunting in. Just like, and to bring the word connection back into it, it just gives you a deeper layer of connection to the area that you're hunting. And we talk about guys who, you know, back decades and decades ago, and then for all of human history prior to that, like we use the phrase, like they know, you know, they know the woods, like the back of their hand, like that phrase, <laughs> like they literally do. They could tell you where a certain tree is and what type right. it is and like exactly how far away it is from this other tree and this other water source. Like I think we've, we, a lot of modern hunters because of the ease of, I, I don't want to say ease because I'm going to get a lot of people mad at me for saying that it's easier because it's not, but the, the efficiency of yeah. the modern weapon allows you to not need a lot of that knowledge. You know what I mean? No, absolutely. I mean, if you have 80 yard, you know, accuracy capabilities, um, you know, there's a whole lot of things, including, you know, you know, being mindful of wind direct. I mean, wind matters no matter what. Um, but you can get away right. with a whole lot of stuff, right? If you have, I mean, there's, that's, that's why sure. you know so many people hunt with rifles right is because immediately just because of your weapon system your opportunities increase because you know you you can reach out there so much farther right um and and that's fine and i get that and again i'm i hunt with rifles too and so i'm, I'm in no way uh you know taken away from that um but it's just a completely different experience it's not I wouldn't even say that it's better, right? Uh, depending upon the person, right? Sure. Um, but it's, I will say that it is richer. Um, and, and to me, and I, I, and I think most traditional archers would agree with this, is that it's, uh, it has opportunities to be deeper because of the awareness you have to have um, about just sure. being out there, right? Um, if you want to have any kind of chance uh, to be successful when you're hunting with traditional tackle, uh, you have to be hyper aware, just like the game that you're hunting is, right? So it's putting you more on their terms, um, and it's it's harder, and so uh, it's it's definitely more. Um, you know, fair chase obviously gets thrown around and that's its own thing all by itself but i mean it doesn't get any more fair chase than that right i mean uh unless you're gonna try to right. run them down and grab them with your bare hands <laughs> or something but uh, right. literally yeah. tackle them yeah yeah otherwise <laughs> um yeah i i think um it is very uh, the older i get the more i'm interested in doing things that have a lot of deep intent behind them. And choosing to hunt with mm. traditional bows is very intentional. You know, you've made a choice that I'm gonna do this thing and it's hard and it's kind of a struggle. And uh, it's like, it couldn't be more simple. It's a stick with a string on it, right? But at the same time, it, it couldn't <laughs> yeah. be more complex. Uh, there are so many nuances to it and, um, and that's fascinating to me. It's an endless source of, uh, of interest and I just never get tired of learning more about it. So there was a, uh, the, an example that, uh, that Brandon and I kind of laugh about a lot as we were making each the transition from compounds to, to recurves and traditional archery was he was given a, a, a the, the analogy was given to him by a guy, I believe at a, at a traditional archery trade show. I can't remember which one. It was like an older gentleman in his like yeah. late 60s, early 70s that had done nothing but hunt with a recurve for 50 years, right? Like right. that's the only thing he's ever hunted with. Like yeah. unbelievable expert hunter yeah. by every imagination. And he said, you know, like when you're shooting with a, a compound and in your practice, you know, you can hit six arrows absolute dead center where they're all touching and you hit your seventh one a quarter inch outside of that and it ruins your day yeah right and right. he said if i'm shooting with my recurve 
and I hit six within like a 12 inch plate thing. He's like, yeah. I'm ecstatic. It's like the best yeah. day ever, yeah. <laughs> you know? And yeah. it's like, there's the, the level of, uh, the level that it takes to get to that place mentally where you're like, I hit six, like right here within this thing. I'm that I'm killed with that today. Like that was yeah. a great day. <laughs> yep. Yep. I agree. <laughs> so as we, uh, um, as we, you kind of were transitioning kind of naturally just with all this outdoorsman, uh, skill talk into, into kind of this bushcraft survival, you know, outdoors, actual outdoor skills, right? right? That's, that's really what a lot of this is, is about. And so in that respect, you know, a lot of this, like you said, probably comes from all the things that you do wrong when you're out in the woods, trying to figure stuff out and learning lessons. And there's a line where it's like, okay, there's a line between I'm going to be here to learn if I do something wrong. And then it's like, okay, I got to actually still be somewhat safe and realize I can't mess up in, in this really bad right. situation. Right. Yeah. But what is, uh, where, where do people begin with a lot of this stuff? Cause this is one of those, this is one of those topics that seems because there's so much, it's so dense, it's so comprehensive. It can seem really overwhelming. It's like, well, how do I even know where to begin? Like what skill is the most important for me to learn first? Like what kind of things do I need to bring with me as like the absolute minimum amount of stuff, right? Cause you don't want right. to be the overpacker and can't hike out with anything. You don't want to be, you definitely want to be the underpacker, yeah. right? And so where would you point people as like a good starting point who are wanting to get into this, learning these outdoor skills and bushcraft stuff? Yeah, absolutely. So the place that I usually start most people are with three fundamental skills. Um, and those usually boil down to some version of shelter, water, fire, right? And so if you're going to spend much time in yep. the backcountry, um, you need to be proficient um, in those three things. And if you're going to look after yourself and if you're going to look after other people that may be out there with you. So that can run the gamut from you know having super ultralight modern gear and knowing how to deploy that gear quickly um, and in a functional way that it works the way that you need it to work or that can be on the opposite end of the spectrum where you're out there rubbing sticks together to make fire and you're building debris huts for shelter right um, most of us aren't doing right. that um, on, on you know, the regular, but, but those are good skills to have. I think um, somewhere in between is, is where kind of a lot of us uh, are going to fall. Um, and whatever that looks like for you, um, it, you know, it, it, again, it isn't right or wrong. You just need to have the confidence that you can take care of those three things. And, and when, from a survival perspective, it all comes back back to like maintaining body core temperature like every decision that you okay. make when you're in the back country that's the thing that's always in the back of my mind is 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 the thing i'm about to do going to help me make sure that i am maintaining my body core temperature to, if i if looking after myself is something um that's important um, and if you if the answer is yes then i'm probably going to do it but if it's questionable then maybe not you know um, and that's more specifically to like, you know, survival skills, but it's important, you know, you need to be able to uh, do those things. Um, and then from there, you start breaking off into what I would call like more recreation based bushcraft, okay, you know, you start learning how to do different types of carving um, and a variety of other different types of skills where maybe you're, you know, using the landscape around you to solve smaller problems related to cooking and things of that nature um and so it really runs the gamut there there's a whole bunch of different kinds of things that you could learn but i always like to start with shelter water fire when you're first starting out and you're like interested in in woodsmanship i, I guess i sort of put woodsmanship into kind of two basic categories you've got survival skills which that falls back to like the shelter water fire thing and all your questions around you know decisions that you should make in relation to those things i'm always asking myself like is the thing that i'm about to do going to help me maintain my body core temperature and if it does that then it's probably a good decision because ultimately if we can maintain body core temp like we can go a long time as long as we have adequate hydration 
and then even longer without food. You know, we can go, I mean, I, I personally have gone sure. a few weeks before with hardly any food and it's not fun, but you can do it, you know? Um, and right. so the other side of that is more kind of, you know, recreational based bushcraft, right? Where you're just learning skills that do have value, um, but it's more things like, you know, different types of wood carving skills, different types of cooking skills, you know, that are often minimalistic where you're just taking things that are available to you in the landscape around you and then learning how to craft those to solve problems, basically, right? Um, so, you know, you, I've, you may go out on a camping trip or a hunting trip or something like that. And, the, you know, when you first start out, you may have a lot of different types of cooking gear. You know, you may be bringing utensils and pans and pots and, you know, all different sorts of things and stoves and all that. But as you delve deeper into, you know, bushcraft and traditional knowledge, you are going to start taking those things away and you may begin using fire to cook your food. You may be using less and less uh, different types of camping uh, implements and then ultimately you're getting down where you're using, I mean, maybe nothing, you know, sticks and uh, a campfire and sure. your knife uh, and you're, you know, cooking your food that way. Um, you know, a good example would too would be simple things like using a metal water bottle to, you know, to boil water. Um, making uh, the choosing okay. equipment to carry with you that has multifunctional uh, use um, so that uh, you are ultimately doing less uh, or excuse me more with less um, and that's kind of an ethos that I always uh, try to you know think about when I'm choosing gear for a trip or whether that's just going out hiking hunting fishing whatever um, I'm always trying to use multifunctional tools um, that allow me to solve multiple problems and do more with less stuff. So that actually brings up a good question then. So do you have in, in your pack when no matter if it's, you know, you're going on a day hike or it's like a seven day hunt or more, are there a few items that are always with you no matter what type of outdoor, outdoor experience you're going for? Yeah, absolutely. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm always going to have a knife with me of some kind and I, I like small fixed blade knives. I mean, I, I'm probably going to also have like an EDC pocket knife right in my pocket for small stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a, in cooler weather. I'm a big fan of like neck knives. And so I'll often be carrying like a small neck knife around me. That's just my personal preference. But, you know, do whatever you want. Um, I do like, though, having something that has a good grip on it, a good comfortable handle, because a lot of hunting knives that I see, um, they're fine for like skinning. But if you had to do any real work with them as far as carving or, or bushcraft type stuff, like they're not going to be comfortable in your hand for very long. And so if I'm going to carry a knife with me, I want it to be multifunctional types of use. Um, I'm always going to carry a way to start fire. In fact, I'm usually carrying two or three ways to start fire because it's lightweight, it's compact, and I can have, um, you know, one on, on my body, around my neck or in my pocket, and another one in my pack or something like that. Um, and then one of the tools that I have has kind of become like a always carry with me uh, piece of kit um, is the Grail water filter. Like that's a modern tool. Um, and full disclosure, like I do work with those guys. I'm an ambassador for them and stuff like sure. that. But there's a reason I'm an ambassador for them. And I, I actually sought that out is because I believe that it's the best choice for water purification that's available on the market today. It doesn't have a lot of moving parts or anything like that. It works like a coffee press. Um, and that is, honestly is a game changing tool. Um, it is two pieces of gear. It's a water bottle. And not just a filter, but a purifier. So it gives you the highest level of water treatment that you're going to get. Not only is it going to get bacteria and stuff like that out of your water, but it's going to be, um, you know, things like heavy metals, viruses, things that regular filters don't get out of the water. Yeah. Um, and so having uh, clean or make the ability to make wild water safe to drink is a big deal. Um, and you know, you can boil water and things like that, but it takes a lot of time to do that stuff. 
Um, and of course, most of us are out there yeah. to do other things where, you know, you may be a, on a camping trip doing bushcraft for bushcraft's sake. Um, but most of the time we're out there fishing, hunting, hiking, we're doing other stuff and I don't want to take an hour to treat my water. Right. I just want to do it and keep going. Sure. Um, and you're going to do a better job of staying hydrated properly if you have an easy means uh, to make your water safe to drink. And that's why I like that particular uh, uh, piece of, of kit so much. Yeah, that's real. Those are three really good ones, because I think a lot of people would assume knife. And I actually hadn't even thought about the had the thought about the handle being like making sure it's not cumbersome or hurt if you have to actually get in and use it outside of just cutting flesh. Right. Because I think when when you see like the hunting knives, that's kind of what everybody initially just thinks it's for. It's like, well, yeah, I got to be able to cut through hide and do all that was like, well, yeah, but what if you also have to use it to cut wood? You know, like it's got to, you don't want to, you know, just jam up your hand and get blisters all over the place if the handle is not, not going to be something that's easy to use for a long period of time using heavy work. So that's actually, I hadn't even thought about that. So that will definitely influence which ones I bring with me when you do these. uh, And then you do these, um, you just had one not too long ago, like kind of these events. I can't remember what it's called. Is it the Brouhaha? Uh, It's called the Brouhaha Bushwhack. Yeah. And so that thing, there we go. So is that kind of like a a community thing? Uh, Very much so. Yeah. Um, I've been doing that event now that the one we just did this spring was the eighth one. Uh, So it's been, we're getting uh, not too far away from 10 years now that I've been doing it. And the way I describe it is a wilderness skills adventure race. Um, And so you do it as a team that you have a team of either three or four people and it's really multifaceted when it comes to your skill set. And the other thing that's unique about it is that um, it's not about how fast you are. It's about what you know uh, in order to win. So you can come in last and still win it because it's a point-based uh, kind of event. And so an okay. example of, of how it works is you earn points through uh, kind of four basic ways. Um, one way is through map and compass navigation. Um, we don't allow GPS systems, so you can't bring your Onyx. You know, you can't can't do that. I love Onyx, nothing against it, but this yep. is about doing things the old way and relying on our hands and our brain and not technology in order to to you know succeed. Right. Um, and so uh, land navigation with map and compass, and if you're successful with that, then you earn points. Um, and you're recording data like there's a password when you get to the place you're supposed to be and you record that in a book and that's how you prove you were there okay so that's one Ah, way that's good Um, the other way is through uh, shooting a traditional bow and arrow the whole course and they're gonna teams travel anywhere from probably seven to ten miles throughout the day Um, so it's a pretty long course and the whole thing is a 3D archery course. So every time you get to a checkpoint, okay. you have to um, make, and the team decides. One person can do all the shooting or everybody can take part, um, but it's a cumulative system. You can take four shots at every checkpoint and every shot counts. And so you've got to get as many points as you can um, on that. So that's the second way to earn points. The third way is through technical knowledge. And so you're going to have to do things like uh, demonstrate first aid skills, build campfires, paddle a canoe. Um, you may have to build some kind of hauling system to like haul a, a, a boat or some other, you know, a four wheeler or something out of a ditch. I mean, you never know. There's all of these different kinds of things that you have to prove that you can accomplish as a team. And if you do that successfully, then you get uh, points for that. And then the third or sorry, the fourth way is nature knowledge. And so as you're going through, you have to identify things, animal tracks, trees, plants, bird calls, uh, stuff like that throughout the whole thing. And so it's the cumulative of all these different skills um, that allows people to be successful in the event. That's really cool. And it sounds like the (laughs) I mean, 
the thing that we did at Winter Strong, like that competition, it, it, when you started, it sounded like it was similar in the sense that we had these these stopping checkpoints. You had to shoot, you had to do some sort right. of, and it, but it was fitness related, right? So it was like right. there was some sort of fitness aspect event to it. But I, I love that there's the breadth of skills that are tested in the thing that you, in the race that you guys do because it's a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about this whole time already where it's like uh plant identification or animal tracks or like these things that showcase you actually understanding what you're doing when it comes to being in the woods you know which yeah. is kind of, and and then rewarding it based on that not just like how fast you go which right. is which is pretty rad so uh yeah. what's uh, you know you do a lot of these do you change them up every Every year, oh, is there yeah. different aspects to it? Is there some that are always around uh, that are that are that carry over from year to year as well? Oh uh, well, there's certain skills that you know you're going to have to do every time. <clears throat> uh, like, uh, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, for instance, like you know you're going to have to build fire once, probably twice throughout the course. Um, and the other thing about it is, like, fire is a good example of this. You often have opportunities where the harder method you choose, you're rewarded more points. So when it comes time to build a fire, you may okay. be able to use like a, a flint and steel, you know, to start your fire. But if you can do a bow okay. drill or a hand drill, you're going to get more points. And so it's all about your level of skill that you've attained. Nice. And so people that have stronger skill sets have the opportunity to earn more points uh, through it. Um, and then the course changes every single year. Um, I have a really great uh, partnership with the place that we do it down on the Mulberry River here in Arkansas, and we have a big piece of private land, but I also work with the uh, National Forest and I get permits in order to expand that. And so, um, I mean, the event lasts the entire day. Oh, that's cool. Like I was saying, I mean, they, they can travel, some teams travel more than 10 miles. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a big time commitment. Um, and you go where you want, when you want. That's another thing that's different about this event. The course, you don't go to A and then B and then C and then D. You get a topographical right. map and it may already have points plotted on it or you, so it's, again, it's really multifaceted, but you can be awarded more points by choosing a blank map and then I hand you a sheet that has UTM coordinates on it and you have to use a grid reader and manually plot those on the map. So you have to understand how to plot coordinates <laughs> manually and you have to understand how to read that topographic map and go to those places you know, the, the correct way. And of course you're rewarded more points by doing that. And so really what I'm trying to do is it's like the ultimate test of woodsmanship. I mean, that's kind of what it is, right? Um, right. But doing so in a way that um, it is a wide demographic. We have young, old, men, women. Um, and it's I love that about this. We have families that come do it. There's some folks that are like really um, setting great examples. Um, you know, parents bringing their kids to do this and doing it as a family group. You know, we've got groups of friends that come out. I mean, it, it, it's one of the coolest things for me that I've seen is I, I know people that plan their spring around this event. You know, they uh, they may never That's they cool. may not see each other. They live in different states, but they kind of all come back together to do this thing. And I think that's one of the honestly the coolest things about it, you know, um, and it always happens in early April. Uh, it's usually either the first or second Saturday of April. Uh, when it's going on, depending upon when Easter falls. So I'm always trying to, you know, be mindful of that. Um, but uh, yeah. otherwise, um, yeah, it's kind of kind of the goal is to get out there, have a good time. It's fun, but like genuinely test yourself and see kind of what you're made of. And then from there, it identifies, you know, OK, where where should I spend some time? Like maybe I crushed the archery course, but I didn't yeah. get any of the IDs right. I didn't know what the trees and the tracks were and that <laughs> stuff. And and uh, I need some work there. And so um, it helps identify maybe chinks in your armor um, in places that you can improve, uh, uh, you know, to be uh, a better uh, backcountry traveler. So that's really cool. I want to get into the uh, the quivers because the the ones that you had um, at Winter Strong were awesome, and I've seen you post a lot about them since. And you're actually just previously up in the room where you make a lot of them. So yeah. uh, tell me about how that 
how that came about and and why the design that you have is the design that you have yeah so the quiver thing has been kind of a long-term project of mine for many years now um i used a bunch of different kind of quivers for probably 10 years or so and and sort of liked some of them more than others but i just never really found anything that worked for me I don't like my arrows on my bow. I never have. I like a clean bow, um, as lightweight as I can get it. Um, it's less likely to get hung up on stuff when I'm walking through the woods. And, you know, if you like that, great. A lot of people use, you know, uh, quivers on the bow, but it's just never been for me. And the hip ones and the pocket ones and the, you know, a lot of the other ones that are out there available just all had problems for me personally for one reason or the other. So I've always liked back quivers. Um, they, for me, they get the arrows out of the way, um, but I never found ones that fit me properly, and I never found them that had the right features on them that um, I wanted to have. And one of the simple things at the time was I could not find a back quiver that had a water bottle pocket on it. It just almost didn't exist, and it really yeah. still doesn't, um, except for mine that I'm aware of. And so, um, long story short, um, for about a year, I met a guy who was building tactical equipment. And so he was using like thousand denier, quarter and nylon. And we worked together and developed this product and he was building them for me for a while. But it looked like, like a military quiver, you know? Um, and it, it was great, sure. it functioned really well, but it, it just, it never had quite, it didn't have the traditional look that I was going for. And then ultimately he couldn't support it anymore. His own business got too busy. And, uh, and so then I was like faced with a decision, like how am I gonna do this? And I reached out um, to several different manufacturers. And the other thing about this is I was not interested in taking this overseas. Um, I, this, I, I was like, this is gonna be an American made product or it won't exist. Um, and so I couldn't, this was during COVID though, and I, I couldn't find anybody that would talk to me uh, to, you know, begin working with to get these things made. And I was like, well, I either need to quit thinking about it or I need to, you know, make a decision here. And so I decided to teach myself to sew. So I bought an industrial sewing machine. Um, I didn't have time and I still don't have time to do this. Um, this is, you know, a side gig for me. I've got a whole outdoor retail store yeah. that I'm part owner of, I'm an equipment buyer for, um, and I, you know, I teach classes and all kinds of stuff. And, but I was like, it's, this is important enough to me that I want this product to exist. And so if, if any, I'm going to have to do it myself essentially. And so, uh, bought a sewing machine, made a bunch of really bad stuff for about six months, uh, while I was learning the process. And then, <laughs> um, uh, you know, like any time you learn something and then ultimately, um, about a year and a half ago, I was able to get to the point where I was like, okay, I think I'm willing to put my name on this thing now. Like, uh, I feel confident enough in it. I had been using various prototypes and, um, I started selling them, uh, you know, late, uh, winter before last is when, or maybe around spring, probably early spring is when I started selling the first ones. And, um, and then, yeah, so it's been kind of nonstop ever since. And, you know, it's not a fast process. These are custom made by hand, uh, yeah. waxed canvas, but hard, I mean, heavy duty buckle. I use very compliant buckles, the best stuff I can get my hands on, uh, to make a product that, you know, hopefully it's going to last your lifetime. You're going to buy one and it'll, it'll last forever. Um, it has a lot of unique features on it that, um, work really well for me and, and you know as a traditional bow hunter and i hope work really well for other folks and um so i'm in the process of just trying to learn how to continue to streamline this thing how to ramp up you know production because right now i can maybe squeeze out about 45 or 50 a year um is about all i can manage uh doing this mostly on my own but yeah. i recently have kind of brought another person into the uh, manufacturing process an old friend of mine that's going to be helping me out and um i'm really hoping that um that's going to help and and you know kind of organically grow this thing so that we can get more of them out there into more people's that's hands. awesome thanks one of the things that I love is just every time a really cool product exists, 
the story behind it is always like, I didn't see this anywhere and nobody was making it and I didn't really want to. So I just started to make it, <laughs> but I right. just started to make it myself because nobody yeah. else was going to do it. You know, yeah. like that's, uh, that's always like how the good ones, the, the stories of all the cool things. That's how it always begins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff out there on the market these days. Um, but I, you know, and, and a compound hunter could use one of these if they wanted to certainly, but, um, Obviously, like it's it's kind of built with a traditional guy in mind, um, and uh, you know that's why I'm using wax canvas and you know certain materials to kind of give it that yeah. traditional vibe, uh, so to speak. But uh, it's been a really interesting process, and I'm I'm genuinely grateful to those people that are willing to spend their money on one and and take it out with them on their hunting trips, and uh, I hope that they find as much value in it as I have. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Uh, one of the last things I wanted to to go over with you uh, as we're winding down here was um, to bring it into like the health and, and fitness side of things, because that's obviously something that you care a lot about is staying in, in shape for all this stuff that you do. And I, I've told this story before, but one of the things that just made me crack up when we were at Winter Strong was like that very first morning when we're there and we're all looking at all the uh, like the, you know, the bars and all the stuff that's available to us is kind of like the thank yous and, you know, part of the, the stuff right. that's there for us. And me and you and Corey, me and you and Corey were looking at all of them. And I just remember like you and Corey both like throwing one of them down. They're like, seed oils. Get out of here. It's like, can't have, can't have anything anymore. It's like, it just yeah. cracked me up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to like these guys. I'm going to like these guys. Yeah. So like, uh, in the health, in the health and fitness realm, uh, you know, what is, and, and you just got a, a Wolf Brigade mace from Greg not too long yep. ago, which is awesome. Yep. I've been seeing you start to mess around with that after learning from him on that weekend also. So, uh, you know, how does that fit into all the stuff that you do in, in its priority level for you? Oh yeah, it's huge, man. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm pretty kind of religious about, uh, my sort of four solid workouts a week. I'm kind of a uh, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday guy. I do it at my lunch break. It's a nice way for me yep. to break up my day. That's kind of when I'm I'm primed. I've gotten, you know, warmed up. Um, I'm not getting any younger. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, doing those morning workouts for me, I admire those guys that can get up at 5.30 and go hard. But uh, what I have found for me is that, um, I have to get up a lot even earlier to get the warm-up time in to avoid injury and so i'm in a fortunate position where i live close to work and so i can get up early get go sew get some work done go to work do my, my normal job get that thing going come home at you know 11 11 30 and that's where I, when i feel like ready to go um and so i can you know really focus on getting a quality workout in um and i do uh the core of, of my methodology these days being a guy in his mid forties is, um, I like old school calisthenics, like keep it simple, you know, uh, mm. squats, push ups, pull ups, dips, um, kind of Jack LaLanne kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, that's what I really like a yeah. lot. Um, there's this guy that I have gotten a ton of training advice over the years and he's kind of under the radar unless you're a, a boxer. But his name's Ross Enemate. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Yeah. Uh, I was like a, yep, yep. a Ross training. That's I, I like for like 15 years. I've been into Ross training stuff, um, and uh, that guy That's is awesome. he's a beast. He's man. got good stuff. He's got super good stuff, and so. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm real, uh, one of the best tools that I ever took away from that guy are the rollout wheels. You know, I took a couple of hex bolts and some lawnmower wheels and, um, you know, I do standing rollouts at least two days a week. Um, and that's like a really yeah. critical, uh, component of my training just because it's a whole body thing. But I love kettlebells too. You know, I'm usually, uh, my leg days are typically uh, revolving around kettlebell use. I've had some, you know, injuries and back trouble, like a bunch of guys that have lifted weights for a long time in their life. And um, and so I don't really do anything heavy anymore. Um, you know, I like uh, uh, squatting and swinging kettlebells around. I like upper bodies, almost all calisthenics. 
Um, and then after that, you know, and, and then the other part to me that's a huge thing about that is it, it is very important for me. I have a, a eight year old and an 11 year old and um, it's it is uh, critical that they see their dad exercising regularly, you know, um, and that that isn't that's just something that's part of life. It's just something you do. You know, it's really not a question. Uh, and that is uh, another, you know, thing that is really, really important to me is setting that example for them. And, um, and I, yeah, I've, I've been very proud that, you know, I, like I was at a trade show all last week and I'll call and talk to my wife and she'll be like, well, what's Rylan up to? He's like, he's in the garage doing pull-ups. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> nice. I, I love that, you know, that, that makes me, uh, really, really proud. Um, and that right there is worth all of it. Um, and so other than that, you know, the food thing, uh, I guess I take it pretty seriously. I'm not perfect by any means that I kind of do the 80, 20 thing. Um, I, I want to eat sure. as much, you know, wild or uh, gr locally grown food as possible, single ingredient as much as possible. Yeah. I don't worry about the keto, the low carb, the any of that type of stuff. I just try to eat real food, single ingredient, stay away from as much stuff that comes out of a box or a can or as possible. Um, and uh, yeah. you know, I guess that's kind of it. You know, I eat two meals a day. I eat a, uh, I do my workout. I eat a small meal after that. And I try to, I usually do protein um, with it. Um, and then uh, I eat dinner and then I fast until, you know, from dinner until usually lunch the next day, uh, almost every yeah. day. So, and uh, it seems to be working. Pretty simple, man. It's yeah, not, keep not it a, simple. Yeah, not a not a super complex approach to any of it, which is no. nice because I think that's the, it, the the less the fewer barriers to entry as possible is going to make it what's most sustainable. You know, especially if it's something that works how you've got it set up, which it clearly does. So yeah, it's, yeah, I like it, man. That's awesome. Thanks. Yeah. And I'll, I'll train, I'll, you know, I'll shift gears a little bit. Like I, I pulled an elk tag in Idaho for September. So I'll be heading out there. And so, um, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So, and I, I like the, uh, I, of course I got to give a few props to the mountain tough guys. Like those guys are awesome. Um, and they're real inspiring yep. and they've got super good programming. And so, um, you know, I'll kind of be doing some of that, that, you know, stuff in that vein a little bit, but, um, one core thing that I start doing uh, that I'll, about now that I'll do the rest of the summer uh, getting ready for elk season is a lot of step ups. I got a, a, a two foot uh, uh, just like box jump box, you know, in my garage. And um, I'll yep. put, yep. I'll start out with a 20 pound weight vest and I'll keep adding more and more weight to that till I get it up to about 50 pounds. And I'll just, uh, I'll listen to a podcast or something and I'll just do step ups for anywhere from 20 minutes to an hour uh, on that box. And it's, nice. it's not exciting, but you just grind, right? I mean, you just get in there right. and, and go yeah. to that, that place wherever you need to go. But um, I just need to be able to just, you know, put your head down and grind. And, and that's a really good uh, way for me to, you know, get that work in that's not complicated. Um, I don't need anything special you know for that i just need something to step up on and uh that's it so that's that's the one thing i kind of do getting ready for uh going out west for that otherwise i don't change anything else i just you know warming up with the mace doing calisthenics a yeah. little bit of kettlebell work um a little bit of running i'm not a big runner but i think running is a life skill like everybody should be able to run a, a few miles um and so i'll throw that in every once in a while but other than that yeah, keep it simple. I love it, man. Well, Rick, man, I really appreciate you making time. I'm glad we were able to hook up and, and catch up and, and talk for a little bit. So thanks for making time, man. And uh, why don't you give out all the links for the store and all the stuff that you guys are doing. And if anybody wants to maybe get on the list for some of those quivers, like what's the best way to do that? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, real quick, I guess my, the name of my business is Packard Outdoor Center, and you can find that at Packard OC uh, on Instagram or the, go to the website, PackardOC.com. 
Um, and then for my personal stuff, um, I've got a couple of accounts. One of them is just my name, Rick Spicer. That's mostly just like for like pictures of doing stuff with my kids. But um, the uh, main one people know me for is Packrat Bushcraft. And so if you on Instagram, that's the only place I do anything. I don't do any of the other social media yep. platforms. So just all Instagram. Um, and so those are the ways most people can kind of keep up with either what I'm doing. And if you're interested in a quiver right now, the best way uh, is just to go on that pack ride bushcraft and just send me a direct message. Um, the way it works is I've just got a waiting list. I'll put you on the list. Um, and you know, it's kind of like what, as soon as I can get to it on average right now, we got about three month wait times probably. Um, I hope to move to a model where we're doing drops on a website at some point, but I'm just not quite there yet. So, uh, yeah. at, at any rate, um, yeah, just, just reach out if you're interested. Awesome. Well, thanks again, man. I really appreciate you making time. No, thank you, Ross, man. It was really good catching up with you and, uh, I hope we get to talk again soon.